How many were here yesterday for our graduation? Number of you. And do we have any of the graduates here? <laughs> A couple of them are like, oh yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. It's always interesting at graduation time because we, we get to see a number of students that are moving on and moving forward with their lives. But as parents, isn't it just a little bittersweet? <laughs> Got some, some understanding there. I, I was, I was thinking about that as some of the, the graduates I've known their entire lives. And, and I remember when they were this big. And I'm thinking, my son's already bigger than that. That means next week he's graduating from high school. <laughs> and parents tell me it goes about that fast. And, and the, the change and the growth, and then I was thinking about it, and, and okay, what's the alternative? Can we, if, if we had a little button that we could stop them from growing? Just freeze? But really, as parents, would we want that? Because isn't our goal to help them grow and, and to help them mature? This morning, as I was mulling over, well, what, what, how am I going to say the introduction? We're singing worship, and Mark is next to me, and, and one of his favorite songs is Mighty to Save, and we sang that this morning, and he's just belting it out, and I'm just crying, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, growth is good. Growth is good. Would, would I, why wouldn't I want him to grow deeper into his walk with God? Why wouldn't I want him to explore that childlike faith that challenges me? And this morning, we want to talk a little bit about growth. And in a church, that can sometimes be a dirty word. We're going to talk about growth, church growth. And especially in the late 90s, um, early, early of this century, there were a lot of, of classes on church growth, a lot of seminars on church growth. And it became sort of this polarizing debate within leadership of, of churches in America do we strive for church growth? Don't we strive for church growth? And there's a whole lot of reasons for that that we're not going to get into in, in depth, but maybe just a little bit this morning. Because there were a number of techniques that were like, well, if you do these five things, you'll grow your church. And we'll see what Jesus says about that view a little bit later today. If you, if you do, if you get rid of these things, and if you have this kind of lighting in your sanctuary, I know, some of you would like better lighting so we can read better. I'm with you now. <laughs> I understand. But is church growth a negative concept? And so this morning as we continue in Mark, and, and last week in Mark we looked at the parable of the soils and, and how God is looking for receptive soils. And we looked at the hard heart and the shallow heart and the distracted heart and then I understand I never filled in the last blank, the receptive heart last week. The receptive heart. But at the end of, of that parable, Jesus says this about the receptive heart. They will receive the word and the fruit or the harvest will be 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And, and where he leads that story is that there's a harvest and that there's fruit and that people are coming to know Christ. People are coming to know Him. And we pick up in the next verse this morning. And we pick up as Jesus now gives us four parables this morning about the kingdom. About what He means by that growth, by that harvest. And what He means by kingdom. See, the Jews at the time, their expectation 
was that the kingdom was coming and it was going to be incredible and Jesus was going to come and wipe out the Roman kingdom and He was going to wipe out, wipe out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and set His throne on earth and His kingdom would begin. For a lot of reasons they were expecting that as they studied prophecy in the Old Testament. Well, we know, because it's easier to look back than look forward, we know that that wasn't the kind of kingdom Jesus was coming to, to inaugurate. Very different kind of kingdom. And in our text this morning, he begins to describe that. Well, what does it look like? What are his intentions for his kingdom here on earth? And as we read it, we need to understand that his tool for building the kingdom in this age is the church. And so this text applies to us. Because as he, he worked with his disciples and as the apostles went out and founded the church, that then became the tool that Jesus would, would expand His kingdom and would grow His kingdom. And so it's easy to hear a word like kingdom and think, oh, that's, that's for the Middle Ages or that's for Bible times. But you and I are members of His kingdom. And He's correcting some ideas about a kingdom. He's correcting ideas that people had of, well, this is how God should work and this is what it should look like. And don't we have some of those same ideas today? This is how God should work. This is what it should look like. And Jesus spends some time, some, some time correcting that. So turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And we'd like to answer the question, does God want His church to grow? Does God want His church to grow? And we're going to look at four different thoughts about kingdom growth as we look at the four different parables and see what Jesus was teaching. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. In verses 21 through 23, we start with the parable of the lamp. The parable of the lamp. And we see that God's purpose is to reveal Christ and the gospel. God's purpose is to reveal Christ in the Gospel. Starting at verse 21. And He said to them, being Jesus' teaching, is a, lamp brought to be put in, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus here is responding to verses 10-12 through 12. Before this, where he talked about the secrecy of the kingdom or the, the mystery of the kingdom and why he was speaking in parables. And he comes back to that and says that the purpose is not to keep the gospel or to keep the message of Christ. My purpose is to put the lamp on the lampstand and make it visible and manifest to all that will hear. It's interesting as, as we look at the, the phrasing, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket? The phrasing in the Greek is actually pretty difficult to, to make sense of in English because literally it's, does the lamp come to be put under a basket? Does the lamp come to be put under a basket? And, and that's not wording you would describe a lamp. A lamp doesn't just walk in the door and say, here I am. I've come. And it lets us know that Jesus here is, is talking about Himself. He's talking about a person as the lamp. He's talking about Himself that He has come to be the light of the world. 
And so the lamp is Jesus Christ and His message of the kingdom. And how are people brought into the kingdom? They are brought into the kingdom when they realize that we need Christ and we repent of our sins and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're part of the kingdom. And so Jesus uses this imagery, you know, if you brought a lamp in and it's an oil lamp with flame, and would you really bring it in and light it and go to all that work and, and stick it under the couch or under the bed? Makes no sense. Would you really do all that and put a, a bushel or a basket that they, they used for trading? Would you put that over it so no one could see it? He's saying no. And in the same way, would Jesus come? Would Jesus come and not want to be known? And he's explaining to them that the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of the lamp is to provide light, to be revealed, to illuminate. But for a time, for a time, it's hidden in parables and hidden only revealed to those who are receptive. See, the disciples didn't understand God's purposes yet. They didn't understand where this was going. They didn't understand the cross yet, but they would but they would. And so in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing it this way so that, so that it will burn brighter and the disciples will be able to manifest who I am and proclaim who I am. The goal is to make Christ known. The Gospel will be revealed. When we think of something being made manifest, it's being made public. It's revealing publicly. And it's interesting to to see this coming right after the concept of bearing fruit and being receptive. Because Jesus here is, is using this to make a call to action to the disciples. To say, you have a job to do now. Because really, who's going to reveal... And when is it going to be revealed? And the when we have answered at the cross. And, and we know that the, the kingdom is, is begin, the seeds of it begin to be understood when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and, and is resurrected three days later. But who's the who? The who is, is the disciples who he's talking to. He clarifies that in Acts 1.8 when he says, you will be my witnesses. You will proclaim me. You will reveal me. And so when we think of the parable of the lamp, we realize that it's God's purpose to reveal Christ and the Gospel. He wants people to know about His kingdom. And He's using the parables to to delay His crucifixion and to train the disciples and prepare them for the work that is coming. Jesus is sovereignly in control of the path to the cross and the timing of the cross. And it would not come too soon. And it would not come too late. It would come exactly when Jesus said it would come. So as the parable is saying that Christ will be revealed, it's also saying that the church, that we are responsible for revealing it. And so really, it's a, it's a call that says God wants every one of us to be reaching out and sharing the Gospel. 
that church growth at its core, true healthy church growth at its core, is about revealing who Christ is to a lost world. That's church growth. Does God want His church to grow? Does God want Christ to be revealed? Does God want the lost to come to Him and come into a saving knowledge of Him? Absolutely. And when we think about where we're at as a church and where the church in America is at and in the world is at, our goal should be to bring people into the kingdom. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to sow the seed, to be God's hands and feet, to be His tool. In verse 23, we see the phrase that we saw last week, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's a call that says, listen, there's more to what I just said than what you think. It's not just about what you think you heard. It's not just about a lamp. It's about your proclamation of the Messiah. Now I know, I know how this works out in our lives. Some of you are like, amen, preach it, let's go share the gospel. And some of you are saying, oh no, here we go again. I feel guilty again because I'm not sharing the gospel and how do I do this? Let me offer a suggestion. Rather than finding four ways to share the gospel, I would encourage you to spend time living the gospel. Walking with Jesus falling so deeply in love with who Jesus is that it, it permeates every aspect of your life. Realizing how deep our sin is and how deep His grace and His love is that He rescued us. And when we begin to focus on what God has done instead of what we need to do, what we need to do tends to follow it. Because we are so enthralled in the love of God and in the greatness of God and in the mercy and grace of God that how could we not talk about it? Be enthralled with who God is and what He's done. And then you'll have something to talk about. Then when you go to work and they say, well, what did you do this weekend? Then you'll be like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Because it's oozing out of you. Then when you're at home and you see your neighbors, you'll be thinking, oh, I wish they knew the love of God. I wish they knew what He's done for them. And it's a change in mindset that will get us off our tail ends and get us into people's lives and sharing the Gospel. It's a change of mindset that will grow the kingdom. Not just the right words to say. See, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, they know when it's just words. But then they also know when it's really your life. Just for two minutes, I want to ask a question and let just a couple popcorn answers. What has God done in your life? What has God done in your life? And I'm not looking for blessings this morning. And those are great to focus on. How has He rescued you? 
How has he rescued you? What has he saved you from? What has he done in your life? Save me from myself. Amen. Other. Amen. That'll preach. Save you from what? Death. Amen. Amen. You guys shouldn't do this to me. <laughs> See, these are real things that will preach God's word that will put Christ on the lampstand where he should be. And this is the heart of God. God wants every one of us to be reaching out and sharing the gospel. He goes on in verses 24 and 25, and he uses another analogy here, and it's closely tied with with what we just talked about. One and two are together, and three and four are together. But the parable of the measure... The parable of the measure. And the idea to look for here is receptivity, which we talked about last week, receptivity to the word, opening our hearts. Receptivity includes usage. You may not know what I mean by that yet. That's okay. Receptivity includes usage. Let's read verses 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And Jesus here introduces these two verses with, again, a note of caution. Pay attention to what you hear. Getting their their focus to say this is important. And he uses a proverb from the grain industry. Where they they would trade by measuring out a certain amount of grain. And if you measured, for those that were deceptive, they would measure, their measurements were always a little light for at least what they were giving out. And, and, and so they were always giving just a little bit less, a little bit stingy with what they were giving, just, just taking a little bit more than they should. And then you had the people that were honest that used accurate measures. There once was a, a baker and a butcher. And they, they were saving some, some money by trading with each other, and the butcher would trade some meat to the baker, and and the baker would trade flour to the butcher, and they, they had agreed that they would trade 10 pounds at a time. And so they're trading, and the butcher starts measuring what the baker is, is giving him. And he finally goes back to him and says, you're not giving me a full 10 pounds. You're not giving me enough. You're cheating me. And the baker said, well, I, I'm sorry, my scale broke, and all I have is a balance, and so I've been taking the meat you give me, and putting it on one side and just measuring how much flour to give you based on that. With measure you are given, or that you give, that you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus here is, is coming back to the laws of receptivity that we talked about last week. And he's adding to it because the context here is shining our lights for Christ. It's doing something for Christ. And even the act of measuring was, was the act of inter, um, interrelating with people and, and doing the work of God. And so what Jesus adds here is the idea of increasing spiritual ability. You see several laws of receptivity. Last week we talked about consecutive spiritual assimilation. That as we study God's Word and open our hearts to it, He reveals more. 
We talked about progressive spiritual atrophy, that the more we let go of God's Word that we're not receptive, the, the more it falls away and eventually leaves us. And then this morning, increasing spiritual ability. And the idea here is, is not just being receptive, but as we use God's Word, as we put it into practice, specifically in this context, as we share God and the Gospel and who Jesus is with others, our spiritual ability to do so increases. Our spiritual ability both for sharing the Word and for knowledge and understanding, both will be given more. Because in verse 25, for the one who has, more will be given. The one who is using God's Word, the one who is receptive to it, the one who is sharing Christ, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See, when we pass on what we've heard, when we pass on what we receive, God gives us more to pass on. But the flip side of this is when we're not sharing God's Word, a type of spiritual atrophy, like we talked about last week, sets in. I know we've had several of you that have had had wrist surgery. Liza, are you here? You had wrist surgery, and Joe, I know, isn't here this morning. And, And it's interesting talking to you after you have the surgery and it's in a splint for a while. When that first comes off, is your wrist as strong as it was? No. Many of you have broken bones, and when that, that cast first comes off, you can barely move your arm. You're like, oh, oh. Man, I used to at least be able to lift my arm. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that happens when we don't use the knowledge God has given to us. We atrophy. And those muscles that aren't used fall off and become unusable. See, what we do with the message God entrusts to us is directly proportional to our spiritual health and growth. Individually and as a a church. What we do with the entrusted message is directly proportional to our spiritual health and growth individually and as a church. What we see throughout Scripture is if we're not obedient in sharing Christ in finding ways to put him on the lampstand, our spiritual growth and our spiritual health suffers. And that's sobering. That steps on my toes. Because then it's not just about me and what I can learn. It's about what I'm doing with what God has entrusted me with. When we stop sharing the message individually, when we stop sharing the message as a church and seeking for others to come to Christ, we die. We die. We become a country club that's just fun to get together and help each other out instead of a rescue society that's going out and trying to save a lost world for Christ. And so Jesus says, for to one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And we see that our spiritual growth is tied to sharing Christ. Our spiritual growth, our growth as a church, is tied to making Christ preeminent and sharing Him with others. Does God want growth in His church? Absolutely. 
because he wants us to be sharing who Christ is. Third parable, verse 26, the parable of the growing seed. The parable of the growing seed. God causes growth in his timing and in his sequence. God causes growth in his timing and in his sequence. Let's read these three verses. Four verses. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So we get another seed parable. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And we see again a farmer planting seed and planting seed in the good soil here. But three things that that we need to get out of this parable, three thoughts. The first is, God gives the growth where and how He wants. God gives growth in His kingdom where and how He wants. Did you catch verse 26? The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed. And then verse 27, He sleeps and rises night and day. He goes to bed. The seed's there. It's out in the, the, the ground. He goes to bed. He's doing nothing except what he's been asked to do, plant the seed. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. I love the, the, the first couple weeks of a garden where you see the first sprouts start coming up. It's always amazing to me that out of that seed, this thing is growing. And, and, and the, the part of me is like, okay, so what is it pulling out of the soil to do that? You know, because you, you can't have, have matter coming from no matter. And, and so what is happening there? It, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's a mystery. And Jesus is saying it's like that with the kingdom of God. You sow. You share the word. I'll take care of how it grows. I'll take care of how it grows. Literally, it's while he is unknowing, it grows. See, growth in, in, in any church, village Bible church, but today we're talking more of the church, the universal church. Growth in, in the church is the work of God. We can't understand it. We don't know when and where it will happen. We are just called to be faithful. And I think that is why some of the church growth movement has come under come under fire. Because I think it, it at times risks taking God out of the equation. And says, well, okay, if you do these three things, you will grow. Well, no, if God wants you to grow, you will grow. If you're faithful to His Word. If you're faithful to sharing the Gospel. If God wants you to grow, you will grow. If God wants His kingdom to grow through another church, then He is more than welcome to do that. And we have to be careful of gauging success on how many people walk in through the door. Keeping in mind, God wants His church to grow, but it is He who causes it to grow. At the annual business meeting, I talked a little bit about this when I said my prayer is for village to grow and my prayer is for village to shrink. And, and the idea behind shrinking is if we are sending people to ministry, if we are sending people to the missions field, if we are planting another church someday, if we are finding ways to grow the kingdom, then how many people are at this location doesn't matter. 
Because it's the growth of the kingdom that matters. It's a different mindset for a church. It's a different mindset for how we come together. Our job as a church is to preach the word consistently, to disciple consistently. Those are marks of a healthy church. We do that through our outreach where we're trying to reach people for Christ through community, which is the context within which we disciple, through spiritual growth, through our instruction, and through ministry. All of those things tie to being a healthy church, what God has asked us to do. Now again, a word about some of the the church growth concepts. I wouldn't throw them out though. Like, okay, didn't you just say that God causes the growth? He does, but where those things are helpful is to ask the question, are there things we're doing that is preventing growth? Are there things that we are doing as a church that keeps people from being discipled, that keeps people from coming to Christ? You know, if, if, if someone comes and, and is visiting with us this morning and no one ever talks to them, then we are intentionally keeping someone and distracting someone from who God is. And so the, the, the concepts of how do, we, how do we have a healthy church are important for us to think through, but not with the goal of filling a certain number of seats, but with the goal of increasing the kingdom. One of the implications for us, though, is we need to be open to growth when and in whatever form God opens it. As I shared at the business meeting, I am convinced that we as a church have a responsibility to disciple every person that comes through that door. And we need to think through the implications of that. Are we doing that? Are we striving to do that? Are we finding ways to build connections with every person and bring them into a deeper understanding of who God is? That's the field God has given to us. May we be faithful in that. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And doesn't that do a wonderful job of keeping us humble? To reminding us that we're but feeble humans. And God is God. And He will bring people if we are faithful. One other thing that this reminds me of as we think about God causing the growth, we come back to who is the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? I'm not the head of Village Bible Church. The elder board is not the head of Village Bible Church. Jesus Christ is the head of His church. In Colossians 1.18, And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. In 1 Peter, we see Jesus referred to as the chief shepherd. And so when we think about how, what God wants to do in His church, We have to acknowledge He's the pastor. He's the head pastor. He's the chief shepherd for every one of us. And we submit to Him. A couple of other points out of the parable of the growing seed. In verse 28, we see that growth is in stages. 
The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And Jesus here is explaining to the disciples that it's not going to just come and wipe Rome out. He's saying, no, this is something that is in stages. It starts hidden and then it comes to the heart and then it expands and it expands until the end of time. And we call this the already and the not yet of the kingdom. That it's already here. It's already here in the person of Christ. It's already here in our hearts. And it's spreading. But this is nothing compared to what it's going to be when we are in eternity face to face with our Lord and Savior. The already and the not yet. See the other point out of this parable. The end will come in God's time. The end will come in God's time. In verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And the imagery there is actually that of the end times. The judgment at the end in Joel 3.13, we read, Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their evil is great. And we see that God will bring time to an end when it's time for it to end. We sow, we disciple, we bring people into the kingdom. And at the right time, when the preordained number has come to Christ, He will return and we will be in glory with Him. parable of the growing seed reminds us that we're to do our part. We're to sow, we're to proclaim who Jesus is, and trust that God is sovereign. Trust that God is sovereign. Finally, the last parable in the sequence on the kingdom. The parable of the mustard seed in verse 30. The parable of the mustard seed, and as we read it, The title I've given this is God Uses Feeble People to Grow His Great Kingdom. God Uses Feeble People to Grow His Great Kingdom. Reading in verse 30, and He said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And Jesus is using an illustration from farming again, and the smallest seed that they used in farming, it's not the smallest seed that exists, but the smallest seed that they used in farming was the mustard seed. And and if you look at a picture of it, it's these tiny little black dots that can fill a hand. And, And it takes hundreds of them to even measure a gram. And this tiny little seed, when you plant it, becomes a 10 to 12 foot high bush larger than any of the other farmed plants. And so Jesus is making a point that He uses the small and the tiny and the kingdom starts small and tiny in who He is and then in the disciples and it will grow into the largest of the plants. And it's a reminder that God uses us with all of our smallness with all of our feebleness, doesn't matter because He's God. He says, be faithful and let me grow the plant. It's interesting, the, the mustard plant, 
when, when we see writings about it, it, it was sort of a plant that people liked and hated all at once. Because once you took the, the mustard seed and you, you planted it, the stuff would grow wild. And it would sort of take over that section, and it became difficult to get it out of that section of the field once, once you didn't want it anymore. But what a great picture of the kingdom of God. Because remember, two weeks ago, we talked that Jesus here is infiltrating the realm of Satan, and he's building the realm of the kingdom. And where he plants, where he plants, it's infiltrated, and it takes root, and it grows like wildfire. And his kingdom grows. When I think of the mustard seed, I think of a couple things. One, that God uses our smallness, which I mentioned. I know one one of our our congregants this week got an email from someone they had worked with 10, 15 years ago. And, And in that email, it was just a thank you for something that they had done 10 to 15 years ago, a love that was shown bringing them to church. And they said, just just thank you. I, I still think about that every time I walk in the doors of church. Now, 10, 15 years ago, would they have known that the little seed that they planted would blossom like that? No. God says, plant the seed. Trust me for what I do with it. Trust me for the growth that I create out of it. The other thing I think of with the parable of the mustard seed is as people were hearing this, as Mark was writing to a people that were about or or in the process of being persecuted, think of the hope and the help that would have been represented by hearing this parable. Because what it says is the kingdom will grow. The kingdom will grow. The persecutions you're under, the distress you're under, none of that will stop what God is doing. And so there's hope in this to say, it doesn't matter your circumstances, I will grow my kingdom. It's a reminder that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. That can be hard when we look around. When we hear word from partners in Morocco and Algeria of persecution and wonder, is Christianity dying there? Two years ago, Newsweek did an article that they called The End of Christian America. And they, they looked at polls and they saw that a full 10% less of Americans are, are categorizing themselves as Christian than their last poll. And they were theorizing, is this the end of Christian America? But as we read God's Word, we don't have to worry that Christianity will die. Because the kingdom will progress. It will grow because it's at God's hands that it grows. And I take great hope in that. Now that doesn't mean that it won't fall down in America. Because if we don't follow God's Word, if we don't follow His principles, it will fall. And Christianity will decrease. But God here is thinking much bigger than America. And He says, my church will not die. My church will not lose its influence. Don't lose heart. When we think that we don't see results, when we wonder why we are struggling with the ministries we're struggling with, don't lose heart. You're sowing seeds that you never know when they will blossom.
And that little tiny mustard seed becomes a bush. And in verse 34 there, it says that even the birds of the air will nest in it. And it's a direct reference to the the nations of the world. And that at the end, when what started small in the life of Christ, at the end, we'll see people from all nations and all tribes coming before the throne and saying, you are my God, you are my King. I worship you. That's what we're part of. That's what we're part of. I challenge you with this morning. We ask the question, does God want His church to grow? There is no question God wants His church to grow biblically. How He does that is up to Him. How He distributes that is up to Him. But we need to change our mindset to be God's mindset. That says, I pray people come to Christ. I pray people are discipled for Him. I pray people come into the kingdom. There's all kinds of implications for for the local church. Because we we don't know whether He he will, which church He will provide growth in and, and where He will provide people accepting Him and being discipled. But we need to be open to it. But that means just, just a lot of things. A lot of implications if you think about it. It means what, what if God brings someone and they sit in our seats on Sunday morning? John, by the way, you're in my seat. It's hard to worship. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying though? It's a simple implication, but it's something that we should celebrate, not get upset about. Because if someone's sitting in my seat, then maybe they're hearing the Gospel for the first time. Maybe we're reaching out and being effective for Christ. It means that, that we have to take our views of, of what church should be and open them up and say, what does God want to do here at Village? And I challenge you to sow the Word, to be faithful to disciple, and see what God does. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that we are a church that captures your heart of reaching people for you. That sees people we pass by not as annoyances and not as crowds, but as people that desperately need a Savior. Lord, work in our hearts. Turn our soil that we will sow your seed and that your church will grow. In your precious name, amen.